those that are living at home, you can sometimes see if mum and dad aren't on board or they don't necessarily understand, sometimes it can be a little bit harder to change. Then you've got on the other side, like I've got a lot of athletes that have relocated uh, to Melbourne and so live out of home, you know, having to teach them, I guess, like skills around cooking and then understanding, I guess, you know, the just putting a meal together and what it consists of. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Alan McCubbin. And I'm Steph Gaskell. We're both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. We're also both researchers in sports nutrition at Monash University, and we love sharing and translating the often complex science of sports nutrition into simple and practical strategies. Each week, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists, and triathletes ask. This is the sort of stuff that people are talking about on their ride or their run, in the coffee shop afterwards, or they're looking it up on Google or talking about it on social media. And so we'll break it down and invite a guest expert and or an athlete or coach to add their perspective to the question. Okay, how are things with you this week, Steph? Busy, busy? Yeah, very busy. Um, We got a lot of feedback, which is wonderful, from some of our advertisements that we added about the research studies going on at Monash. So thank you to our listeners for for getting back to us on that. Um, But a particular shout-out to the balance runner, Paul McKinnon, He shared uh, the study that I'm running at the moment, um, which is the amino acid beverage study. And anyway, from that, got a heap of replies and we potentially may have the the study all full, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So fingers crossed, um, you know, things can always change. But um, yeah, really, really thankful to Paul for that. yeah, and otherwise I've just been uh, getting in some consistent training hour, which is nice. I need to get yeah. Kate looked at my shoes the other day and said they're looking a bit shabby. So, you know, <laughs> even running enough to get a new pair of shoes. So that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and how are you going, Al? What's keeping you busy? I know that um, uni's starting up again. Yeah, yeah, it's O-Week this week at the uni, so um, classes kick off again next week. So, yeah, just busy getting organised for that. Um getting all the bits and pieces ready for teaching again. So, yeah, it's keeping me busy at the moment. And um, also the, the sports nutrition course that's run by Sports Dietitians Australia um, also kicks off in about a month, the next cohort of that, which I um, coordinate the, the course for that. So uh, yeah. going through a process of reviewing that course at the moment with the various presenters, um, yeah. making some modifications here and there. And, um, yeah, so that's keeping me busy as well. So, yeah. It's all kind of teaching mode at the moment, uh, not not so much happening on the research side, but that's okay. Uh, and then doing a lot of work with the triathlon guys that I work with. So they've got a few new members in the squad, so uh, sort of meeting them for the first time and working with them uh, and also making the most of the opportunity while they're all in Melbourne mm. because they're from all, all around the country and they come here for, for periods to train. So making the most of that opportunity to, to work with them as much as we can face-to-face while there's no COVID or very little COVID restrictions uh, yeah. and before they take off to, to Europe hopefully later on in the year for, for racing. Mm. Are you going to the VIS for that or are you um, uh, is that more online stuff at the moment that you're still doing with them? Uh, no, actually I catch up with most of them at MSAC, so the Melbourne Sports ah. and Aquatic Centre because that's where they do their swim training. 
Yes. So um, that's usually the easiest way to to catch them is before or after swimming. Swimming. So yep. yeah, we normally do it over there. So it's been yep. good. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, today's episode, Steph, is episode 31B. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a continuation on from last week's episode. So what's the topic and who's our guest? Yeah. So question is, how are nutritional needs of young athletes different to adults? Um, and following on from having our expert researcher, Ben Desbro, um, talk about that. Um, we are now following it up with a more practical um, episode. And we're joined by Danielle Stefano, uh, who you know, Alan, you do work with. Um, and yep. she coaches all the way from um, junior level sort of recreational through to the elite um, juniors and adults um, in triathlon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's keep going, Steph, with our social media shout-outs and questions. And I was saying last week that people had put the phones away. It was all a bit quiet on social media, but this week, quite the opposite. People got their phones out again. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yep, we we shared various studies mentioned in in the last two episodes across our social um, media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, So if anyone's interested, please, um, yeah, give us a message. Um, Instagram, we had Jen uh, from the lovely place called Adelaide, where some wonderful gems are from. And uh, she commented on our first birthday summary episode. So that was episode 26. And um, she said, great summary of countless gems. Thank you. We had Lionel uh, regarding last week's episode. uh, And he said, I have an eight-year-old son who has his fingers in many sporting pies and has his father's competitive streak. I'm now frightened about all the dangers that may lie ahead if he gets serious about sport as an adolescent. Today's episode actually will put him at ease. So, so yeah, Lionel listened to Danielle's episode um, and I think you'll feel much better. Uh, we had Sophie say, hey, Steph and Alan, loving the podcast. Would love to hear your thoughts on performance supplementation. So much research out there, but all varying opinions, in particular wanting to know a, a bit more about beetroot juice, beta-alanine, bicarb soda on performance. And yes, we have a podcast on supplements in the works and um, we're hoping that that will be around April. Um, yeah. Mm, yep, absolutely. So we've got a, um, a guest lined up. We're just finalising the date to do the recording for that one. Um, mm. Uh, we won't say who it is now, but I think uh, a really interesting take on how we should think about sort of supplements and food and the interactions between the two and uh, is a supplement just an extension of food or is it completely different and, you know, I guess how we should think about supplements, I guess, in, in a bit more detail, which would be great. Yeah. Now, as usual, Steph, you've been out and about amongst the people and the people have spoken. You've got some <laughs> more feedback just in your day-to-day life on the podcast what have, have you have. been hearing? What have people been saying? Yeah, so, uh, well, went into the running company at Clifton Hill the other day to get my new shoes. Um, and oh, so you've got them already. So Kate uh, was saying yeah. you need the new ones, but uh, yeah. you've actually, you've, you've taken her advice already. I do. I take her advice pretty quickly every now and then. Um, when it comes to new shoes. When it comes to new shoes. 
So, um, yes, I went in there and uh, Felix is um, uh, a young lad that works there and he's a very keen runner. And anyway, when I was grabbing my shoes, he said that, uh, yeah, he, he's really loving the, the podcast. So that was lovely to hear from him. And then also one of the um, potential participants for a study, Brody, uh, who's a high-level runner, um, mentioned to me uh, when we were just chatting about the study that he has been listening to our podcast and really enjoyed Pete Peeling's episode, which was uh, episode 8A back in March 2021. And that was all about iron um, and iron supplementation. And he found it really useful um, for his running training and it was nice uh, and practical and very applied. Um, so, yeah, that was that was the feedback so far. Yep. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for the feedback that you provide and the suggestions around podcast topics as well. Thankfully, mm-hmm. I think we've uh, been fortunate, Steph, that we've been kind of thinking ahead. We've sort of planned mm-hmm. out podcast topics for the year and usually when people suggest them, they're already on our list, which is good confirmation that we're coming up with the right kind of suggestions for yeah. topics. Um, but, yeah, occasionally we have had things that we hadn't necessarily thought of and then that was a great idea and we've turned it into an episode. So if you do have a burning question that you think uh, would be great to answer on the podcast, you can contact us on social media at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram um, and just let us know what the what the question is that you'd like answered and we'll, yeah, we'll see if it's already on our list and we'll let you know if it is or if it's not, we'll potentially add it to the list. So that'll be really good as well. Yep, yep. Today's episode, episode 31B, how are nutritional needs of young athletes different to adults? Uh, And I'll let you do the intro to Danielle Stefano. Yeah, yep. So Danielle, uh, as you said, Steph, is a um, a coach, a triathlon coach that that I do some work with. Um, She actually started out as a sports scientist and um, sort of morphed into more the coaching side of things, specifically in triathlon, uh, and now has her her training squad, Elotic Professional Triathlon. Um, and so she coaches several Olympic and Paralympic triathletes, including Emma Jeffcoat, who we had on the um, podcast episode 2B, who competed in, in Tokyo last year at the Olympics, and uh, David Bright, who we also had on the podcast in episode 19B around, um, you know, do I need more protein? Uh, and he competed at the Paralympics last year. And also Nick Beveridge, who's a, a wheelchair triathlete, who competed at the Paralympics as well. So, um, yeah, so... Danielle had had three athletes in in Tokyo last year, and then obviously a bunch of others um, that are that are training to to try and get to that level as well. But the reason we got Danielle on is not so much about her work with Olympic and, and Paralympic athletes; it's more because she also coaches a group of high school students um, through a, a school triathlon program, um, and so many of those are just starting out in the sport. But then she also has some sort of elite juniors that are coming through with her main training squad. Um, and then others who have been sort of elite juniors and then made that progression into seniors. So she's really got that good overview of, I guess, the difference between kind of beginning young triathletes, the ones who then progress to the, the more serious end of it, and then obviously, um, you know, the, the pinnacle of the sport as well. So she's got a really good sense of, I guess, how the needs of athletes across that spectrum will change. Uh, and as a coach, how she would work with the juniors versus, you know, the seniors and elite athletes as well. So, yeah, I think really good perspective on things. Uh, and as you'll hear in this episode, I think plenty of great ideas and, and suggestions for parents, sports directors, teachers, 
uh, anyone who's involved with young athletes. So, yeah, it's great to have a chat with her about it. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, let's get stuck into it. Yep, let's do it. Danielle Stefano, welcome to The Long Munch. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, joining. So um, you're a triathlon coach um, through your business and um, correct me because uh, I'm not so good at uh, words sometimes. Is it Elotic? That's it, Elotic. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Elotic um, <laughs> Professional Triathlon. Um, so I guess if you can first tell us how did you actually get into coaching in general and then I guess more specifically into triathlon? Yeah, sure. So um, my route into coaching was a bit of a, uh, I guess, um, unorthodox uh, version. Um, I started off as a physiologist uh, at the VIS and worked in um, a number of different sports, one of those being triathlon, but also worked with swimming, cycling, track and field um, and hockey as well. And uh, leading into the 2012 London Olympics, we had two triathletes that were in contention and our head coach at the time was uh, moving to America to be the head coach there. And given I'd spent a good kind of, you know, six years with them um, in the lead up, they said, look, you know, it's better than anyone else. You know what we've been doing. Can you kind of continue on with our program um, through to London? So, yeah, I was... um, shocked but then also kind of honoured and thankfully VIS gave me uh, the freedom to yeah go and um, and do that with them obviously under their guidance as well and yeah went to um, so they both qualified went to London and um, yeah had a great experience over there came back and decided that I didn't want to um, be a sports scientist anymore and wanted to coach so yeah I ended up going for the head coach role at VIS which I was um, successful in getting so worked there as the program head coach for four years and then um, stepped out on my own and started my own business in Olotic uh, back in 2017 and have been, yeah, just a high-performance coach in both uh, able-bodied and para-triathlon since then. Yep. Awesome. Um, and who were the athletes in 2012 that you helped with the triathlon? Uh, yes, that was Erin Densham and Brendan Sexton. Yeah. So Aaron went on to win the bronze that year oh, and then awesome. Aaron, um, Brendan was, yeah, 35th in his um, debut Olympics. Oh, awesome. Um, and do you have a particular sporting background yourself? Um, yeah, oh, look, I wouldn't say necessarily sporting. Like I was a bit of a jack of all trades, a master of none, but um, loved, uh, yeah, loved sport. I played basketball myself and, um, yeah, played basketball for years, but definitely nothing at the elite end, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and what's the story behind um, Elotic? What what does it mean? Yeah, sure. So when I went out on my own, I really was um, pretty keen to make this not about me as such and kind of have it that it is, um, I guess, a team approach to what I was wanting to deliver in, in coaching. And so I was really keen to kind of, yeah, set up um, a, a team that they could kind of, I guess, connect to and um, be a part of and belong to rather than it being, you know, Danielle Stefano coaching or something like that. So I had an athlete at the time who was um, doing uh, design and he'd started up his own little business and he was like, this is how you need to do it. Just think about a whole heap of different things and then look up what they mean in different languages. So I remember being on a camp and sitting there writing down a whole heap of different words that, you know, were meaning different things that kind of meant something to me. And then 
in the end, I um I found yeah low tick, which meant um it, there was running water, but then also um always moving forward. And so the whole idea of always moving forward um was something that kind of really resonated with me. And then I didn't like low tick by itself um and put an e in front of it. And the e to me is kind of like just um a bit of a I guess take on um, a eucalyptus tree so like it's you know kind of strong resilient um, and Australian so yeah put it together and it was a low tick so um, really random <laughs> but I just kind of liked that idea that it was a little bit of a um, a bit of a talking point first yeah. off anyway like a lot of people were kind of asking what does a low tick stand for and yeah. Um, yeah just told them what what it was and I think yeah in terms of creating that kind of sense of belonging in that team approach rather than kind of feeling like they're you know I guess belonging to me it's more about belonging to the team yeah 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 that's very cool um and you've done quite a bit of coaching now with para um triathletes um including amputees and wheelchair triathletes um was that a big learning curve for you to be able to coach um these types of athletes uh like yes and no really I think in terms of the actual like kind of crux of training um it, it was similar, like it, it's more, you know, like I don't really treat them any different to my able-bodied athletes. Like it's the same, I guess, level of expectation um, for all the athletes, but it's more about the loading yeah. and, you know, understanding, I guess, what they can do um, with their disability. And and a lot of the time it's just, you know, a different time cycle or it might be just a little less volume um, for particularly like the amputee athletes. For the wheelchair, that that's probably more of a learning curve for me because it is, I guess, um, completely different to to what I'm used to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, being able to put yourself into their shoes, um, be really open to listening to the athlete and understanding what they're feeling, and then um, I guess you know trying to match that up with what you're trying to achieve. Um, yeah, that's been a, a really enjoyable opportunity to learn, mm-hmm. um, but something very different to you know I guess working with some of the other um, athletes with a disability that I've um, worked with as well so yeah it has been a bit of a learning curve but an enjoyable one at that yeah yeah um and I guess um so our focus um today is looking at how nutritional needs of young athletes um differ perhaps to to adults um and wanting to get your insight um into um into young athletes because uh, we know that you um, are very much involved in in coaching young athletes. Um, so I guess um, you within I guess the high school setting, and also you've got some up and coming juniors, I believe, in your main coaching squad. So if we start first with training, can you describe I guess the type of training program a junior triathlete might be doing? Um, in comparison to an athlete, I guess that's an adult in your in your elite squad. So I guess sort of looking at the kind of the duration of sessions, um, how many sessions in the week they might do, and um, what the kind of hard or easy sessions. Yeah, sure. So yeah, you're right. I do. I also coach um, a school team, uh, the Penley and Essendon Grammar Triathlon um, program, and with those kids, like they're based from you know year seven to year twelve. With those guys, it's definitely about uh, fun and enjoyment and just getting them into uh, triathlon and, um, yeah, just in, enjoying being active and being involved in the sport. So 
very, very different to uh, the training that I do with the junior athletes in my squad. Mm. Um, so those juniors are like performance focused, whereas the school kids are participation focused um, mainly. There are obviously a few that are kind of um, trying to step up in into the junior elite ranks, but yeah, mainly participation focused. Yeah. So with the junior guys that I have in my squad at the moment, the um the kind of you know uh, like elite juniors very different um, in terms of training volume for like compared to the elites. So for example, like my juniors would be training kind of between, you know, 10 to 15 hours a week, whereas my senior elites are at about 30 hours a week. Mm. Um, So it is a a very different load. And it's really, I think, really important um, with those juniors to really establish, I'm really big on technique and really trying to establish good technical processes early so then you can have a really good foundation to layer the volume on as they um, do get older and a little bit like they can absorb a bit more um, without that risk of injury. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably the biggest focus for me at the moment is um, seeing where they are technically, but then also having a look at the strength side of things too, because a lot of them are obviously still growing and still just, you know, finding their way with um you know their, their own body themselves mm-hmm. and trying to then bring, build that strength so they have a really good platform come um, their senior kind of years. Yeah, yeah. And so would they have the kind of like uh, still a similar type of hard sessions? Like I guess like if I think about running, um, uh, for for me, like we tend to have kind of at least probably two times a week, sort of you know like hard or interval type sessions. Um, is that similar for for juniors they can still have a couple hard sessions during the week as per the adults would or do you do um or is it easier sessions for them compared to the adults yeah no I do have the same in regards to the number of hard sessions in a week that they do the difference would be just the volume of that hard session so you know, for example, if a, one of the seniors was doing five reps of something, they may only do, you know, three or four, yep. um, or there might be a little bit of a longer effort. Um, so, you know, for example, we might do some hill reps um, with a lap of an oval on the flat um, at the top of the hill. And for the juniors, it might be that they just do um, the hill rep and one lap of the oval, whereas the seniors might go hill rep and two laps of the oval, yep. um, and they might do five reps compared to you know four reps for the juniors. So mm-hmm. yeah, there is definitely a difference in the um, overall volume, but in terms of the intensity, the intensity is still the same. Um, obviously, like you know, based on where they're at. So I don't necessarily expect them to be running the same pace as the seniors, but in terms of um, their a percentage of their, like, I guess, max, um, their own max, then that's what is, will still be the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I guess apart from the practical challenges of when juniors train around the, the, their school hours, do you see any other key differences in how you approach working with school age versus senior or elite level athletes? Uh, yeah, I think um, the like the big thing for me is like their their strength because obviously like they don't necessarily have the strength that some of these um, elites have had or they haven't had the time in the gym um, that a lot of the elites have had as well. So for me, it's yeah, getting that good foundation for them so they can um, see the benefits then in in performance and in training. But it's also I think the biggest thing is just having a really good um, understanding for the athlete of the 
long game of their development too and not just the athlete but the parents um I find that yeah having a really good kind of open and honest conversation with the parents early on to explain like my vision and my view and how I'm going to uh take I guess the you know the journey of their of their um child uh, as an athlete on board early on is really critical um because I know everyone wants their kid to be a world champion or an Olympic gold medalist but I think sometimes, you know, way too often in in sport and particularly endurance sport, we've just burnt out way too many juniors from trying to be the fastest junior or the best junior when realistically, yeah, especially in triathlon, no one's winning a gold medal at, you know, 17, 18 years old. Mm. Um, so we really need to, like, push that and make sure that there's a really clear understanding that even though we might be taking a step back and, um and stripping things back to be really basic or at least covering off um, some really key fundamentals that that's actually going to be the best thing for them moving forward and to being successful in the future. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Danielle. And I, I know we talked to Ben a little bit about this last week as well. Um, you know, he was talking about track and field. Uh, and in track and field, you see, you know, quite a few studies that sort of follow people that got to that kind of world junior level and then follow them through their senior career and what happened. And and generally the ones who make it sort of to the elite level in juniors, it's almost the exception that they continue to be the elite ones in seniors and end up at, you know, world championship and Olympic medalists. Um, do you see the same thing in triathlon or is it a bit more progression from the the talented juniors end up going on to have success in seniors as well? Yeah, I, I think it's kind of similar really. There's there's some athletes that are talented juniors and continue on to be talented in um, their elite career, but then there's also just as many that have been, you know, really talented juniors and then have just gone missing um, complete, like as soon as they're out of that junior space. And I think, yeah. you know, a, a lot of it does come down to, to burnout um, and the enjoyment factor as well. I think it's a really, even though we are looking at trying to be elite and, and having an elite program, it's, we still can't undervalue the, um, the fun and enjoyment side of things for the athlete, regardless of where they are, whether they're a junior or um, a more senior athlete, they still need to enjoy what they're doing. And um, I think, you know, it's really critical point around that kind of, you know, 18 years old and they're leaving school, um, you know, they're, they're now, you know, I guess old enough to go out and, and have a bit more of a social life that you really need to um, just show them, I guess, the, the value of, it being triathlon and enjoying the sport and what it can I guess offer them like obviously they need to have the drive to be an elite athlete but sometimes you know when it has when it's too much pressure really early then that's kind of a bigger driver away from a sport and you lose a lot of talented athletes because you know it's a very easy option to just kind of go right this is way too hard I'm out um, so I think just trying to nurture that talent a little bit through those that first kind of year or two out of school when life changes are just so massive for them as well that there's a lot to to take on board. Yeah. Um, so I think you've kind of answered this one, but I guess, yeah, we spoke, you know, last week with um, Professor Ben Desborough about how in most cases, even though you can have a very talented junior athlete, there's still a big gap between elite juniors and elite senior athletes. Um, can you put this into context in terms of um, triathlon? Yeah, so I think the, the the biggest difference is like their training age really. Like, you know, if it's um, triathlon, you know, having that those extra years under your belt as a senior really can help not only performance but just your ability to tolerate the load that's required for the sport. 
Um, and just that also understanding of everything that comes um, outside of just the traditional swim, ride, run training, like having a really good understanding of your recovery processes, of how nutrition comes into it and how important that is, how strength and conditioning is also applied and how important that is too. Um, I think as you get older, you have a bit more of an understanding and a bit more of an appreciation of all of those things and how they're all interlinked and intertwined to be the best, um, you know, in, in triathlon or at your sport, any sport really, that sometimes I think gets overlooked uh, as a junior because there probably has been more of a focus for some of them um, when they haven't necessarily been in a junior elite squad that they just need to be the fastest swimmer, the fastest cyclist and the fastest runner when that's not always going to get you across the line when you start to progress through the sport. Long term, yeah. Um, so um, what are the main or the most common training errors you see younger athletes make, which I guess you've kind of listed one of them there? <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yeah, one of them is I, I think just being uh, – just trying to control the enthusiasm early, I think as well. Um, and I think, you know, I know with myself, it's it's an awesome experience for the juniors to be in an environment with senior athletes and learn from them. And um, I, I think it has massive benefits, but there's also, if, as a coach, you need to kind of keep an eye on that and make sure that they're not getting too ahead of themselves and that they understand, I guess, uh, where they sit on the performance continuum and and all of those different things and not try and be yeah. an elite, um, or sorry, I shouldn't say an elite, a senior athlete um, kind of too ahead of their time. Um, so that's probably a, like one thing to look out for. Um, and then, yeah, the second thing, which, you know, I'm sure we'll probably touch on, but it's like probably the nutrition aspect of things. And with uh, triathlon especially, like these juniors, once they've finished school, will start to potentially be overseas racing. And so having you know, to look after your own nutrition when you're not necessarily living out of home is um is a big thing that we kind of have to work on and and help them out with to work out what they need to do, not only to perform, but just to be able to deal with the, you know, daily training um, requirements with their energy. Yeah. So do you see the, like, young ones, um, yeah, can they get a bit excited and want to do the same as the seniors? So they kind of want to do the extra... Uh, volume just because they're enjoying it all so much and then they may be more prone to, to getting injured? Um, yeah, they can. And I think like it's, um, that's where it comes back to like having that really kind of, you know, robust open discussion early on to make sure that they understand that, hey, if I'm telling you that you're only riding for, you know, say three hours instead of four hours, this is the reason why and that it's not a punishment or it's not, you know, <laughs> that you don't believe in them or anything, that there is a big picture to it. Um and that's probably like, yeah, a, a big thing that I've made sure that they understand so that they're not feeling as though they're pressured to do more or that they're like wanting to jump the gun and, and get ahead of um, themselves. So, yeah, being really open and honest early on. Um, but also like their recovery, you'll definitely find with the younger athletes too that they don't necessarily string as many weeks together um, at the level that you're looking at than the senior athletes. And so once you start to kind of see them um, – you know, uh, being, I guess, fatigued in training, it's really important to kind of step in and give them those recovery days or recovery week if they need it, depending on the athlete, um, earlier mm. than what you potentially might give it to your senior athletes. And explaining, I think it's that's the biggest thing with everything really, whether it's a junior or a senior athlete, explaining why you're doing what you're doing or why you're changing 
uh, their program because no athlete wants to like change or do less. They always want to do either what was set out or more. So making sure they understand the reason behind that is really critical. And I think that's sort of reflective of society in general, isn't it? We always want the quick fix or to, you know, we're always impatient. We want more and we want to get there faster. And as you said, you know, you can't um, skip over, you know, 10 years of, you know, training foundations. Yeah, definitely. No, I totally agree. Mm. All right, well, let's focus a bit more on nutrition now. Um, and as a coach, I'm sure you see plenty of athletes that make mistakes with their nutrition. We've talked a little bit about that already. Uh, and that might be sort of emphasizing kind of the wrong things in terms of nutrition, the things that aren't important that they think are critically important, or maybe not paying attention to things that actually are crucial to their performance because they don't see it as, as particularly valuable or important. Um, do you find that these kind of mistakes that people might make in terms of focusing on the wrong things or, or ignoring the important things, are they any different in the junior athletes you work with maybe compared to the older ones? Um, I think in terms of the differences, I think with the junior athletes, depending on their situation, like their living situation probably has a bit more to do with it. So mm. those that are living at home and uh, I guess reliant on whatever meals I kind of put on the table by mum or dad or, um, you know, within their household, then you can sometimes see if mum and dad aren't on board or they don't necessarily understand, sometimes it can be a little bit harder to change um, mm. for the athlete. But um, then you've got uh, on the other side, like I've got a lot of athletes that have relocated uh, to Melbourne and so live out of home and, um, you know, having to teach them, I guess, you know, their uh, like skills around cooking and um, and then understanding, I guess, you know, the just putting a meal together and what it consists of and, what uh, you enjoy eating may not necessarily be the best options for fueling you for a training session. So, yeah, yeah I think um, some of those things are similar in both um, senior and elite, uh, sorry, um, junior and senior uh, athletes. But then um, I think you, you'll find, yeah, if, as they kind of are a bit more independent, then that's when we probably have a bit more um opportunity to kind of work with them and their own skills around nutrition to then put that in play for uh, their own performance. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's something that, that everyone sort of has to go through in their life, isn't it? As you sort of move out of home and become more independent, it's just, I guess, with, with people that are doing a lot of sport, the potential consequences of getting or well, not getting that quite right are a little bit more dire in terms of, you know, not performing in training or recovery or you know, illness and injury, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, and are there particular things from a nutrition perspective that you're sort of consciously looking out for in younger athletes that might be a sign that they're not getting things right with their nutrition? Yeah, sure. So I, I think I found probably more often than not that they don't eat enough. And whilst, mm. um, you know, mum and dad might think that they eat heaps compared to other siblings or compared to themselves, it's actually still not enough to fuel um, not only their training, but also just at school as well, like cognitively having to sit in the classroom and not eat yep. whenever you want to. Um, that's also yep. a challenging Steph's nodding thing. away there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that that's, that's been a big thing for us is just um, when they have been living at home, understanding and, and getting, I guess, the parents on board to understand that, um, you know, even though you think that they're eating enough, it's, there's probably more that they can be eating or even just the types of food that they're eating post-training to then set them up for, you know, their morning at school, given that they can't kind of mm. eat between school starting and their morning recess. Um, so the types of foods to help them get through. Um, that's yeah. probably, yeah, a bit a big one um, that I see. And the other thing would be, I guess, the types of snacks that they have 
during some training sessions or um, kind of between the training sessions. So for example, some of the more senior athletes would come prepared with potentially, you know, a lunchbox or something with a sandwich made up or, you know, other kind of snacks that they've pre-organized from home. Whereas some of the junior athletes would probably just rely on having a muesli bar or which a muesli bar is not like, you know, it's not bad, but depending on what they've done, it may not be enough to then get them yeah. ready for the the next session that they're about to face. So you do kind of see that if you've got, you know, a, a ride and a run in the morning, the ride might be fine and then they start to bonk a bit on the run um, just because they haven't fueled properly, whereas the senior athletes kind of know what's in for, like what they're in for and um, plan a little bit better for those um, yeah. requirements. Possibly learn from experience too. Yeah, they've, they've definitely all <laughs> bonked along the way and um, yeah. and definitely learned. And that's that's probably the, the big thing. And I think it's really good too, and this is, you know, what I've found has been a really good um, benefit of having a combined uh, mix of both senior and junior athletes in the squad is that sometimes, you know, there's been probably, you know, previously a bit of a bad rap on endurance athletes, like actually eating a lot of the time, especially with females. And so actually seeing like these junior athletes to see senior athletes eating and eating a lot and really like fueling um, their performance. I think it's a really good standard to kind of set and a really good um, you know, influence for them too, to see that, hey, if I really want to be the best that I can and get the most out of myself, I really need to fuel myself for that performance. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, are there any common myths or misconceptions, I guess, around training or nutrition that you see are more common in junior athletes? Um, I think it's probably around, yeah, the amount to eat. A lot of them think that they um, they can't eat in the morning, especially if you've got an early uh, session that um, you shouldn't eat something big in the morning or not necessarily big, but like heavier than say just a muesli bar or just a banana or a piece of fruit. Mm. Like that's probably something that they all feel. Um, and I, I don't know if that's something that's kind of almost been drilled in at, at junior level or it's just something that isn't trained in them and that they haven't tried to um, train themselves to be able to have something a little bit more substantial, depending on obviously what the session is. But yeah, that's definitely something that they're like, I can't eat um, early. And, you know, I, uh, unfortunately with triathlon, like we don't necessarily get a say on when we're racing. We could be racing at 6am in the morning or we could be at 6pm at night. So depending on, you know, what country you're in and um, and what race you're racing, you can race any, any time of the day. So you kind of do need to be prepared and, and train yourself to be able to have a meal to fuel that performance um, regardless of, of what time. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And Steph's nodding along around the gut training. That's her area of expertise. <laughs> um, and so one of the topics we discussed last week with Ben was, uh, I guess, issues, and we sort of alluded to it a little bit already, around body composition, body image, and I guess a desire to be as lean as possible. Um, and that can be both juniors and seniors. Um, but at the junior level, obviously, sometimes that can be encouraged either knowingly or unknowingly by parents or, or other people involved with the athlete, coaches, support staff teachers you know sports directors at school that kind of thing do you see younger triathletes struggling with these types of issues yeah I think um I think there's a struggle across the board to be honest whether they're mm. they're junior or not but um I think yeah we like as a society we've probably got uh, a little bit caught up on um even telling people that oh gee you look fit when they are lean as well when mm. someone can be fit and not necessarily looking absolutely ripped um, and so, yeah, it is, I think, something we need to be a little bit careful of because 
it can kind of send, even though you are like being, I guess, giving a compliment and being complimentary of, you know, how they um, must be training, it can potentially, especially for those younger athletes, give them the wrong idea of what fit looks like. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, I think, you know, one of the good things that's come out of triathlon, especially, you know, in recent times is we have had quite a few women on the world stage that have, you know, been um, dominant in triathlon that have actually been stronger, like women that are, that are winning races. It's not, you know, kind of you stick thin um, endurance athlete that's, that's always winning. Like we've got some really good role models that are lean, don't get me wrong, but they're like, they're strong athletes. They're not um, just, you know, like, um, yeah, like really, uh, really thin and um, the kind of, I guess, stereotypical kind of endurance athlete that we potentially, like society's potentially become, um, mm. you know, accustomed to. And so I think that's a really good, uh, yeah, like movement in terms of understanding like what is needed for performance and that you can actually, that stronger is faster rather than, you know, being um, like under fueling and focusing on that body comp and the size. It's more about, you know, your like body comp is still important from a, a, um, a triathlon perspective, but more so about the strength around that and your ability to actually complete sessions and stay healthy. Like staying healthy is the number one key factor, obviously, for the athlete. Mm. So I think it should be more of a focus on that rather than the, um, you know, body comp, so to speak. I, I don't think that you can actually say that there's one particular body type that is best suited to triathlon or best suited to endurance. Um, there is a, a really wide um, variety of different body shapes that works for um, each individual, but trying to maximise, I guess, the performance from um, being healthy and strong is probably the, the best thing to be looking at, really. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and any advice from your perspective for parents who may be a little bit concerned about these kind of issues in their children that are competing in, you know, running, cycling, triathlon? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the the first thing is I'd always be saying, you know, go and speak to the coach first and just see what they have to say. And you can kind of tell pretty quickly, I think, you know, the coach that kind of understands the the uh, long-term goal of junior development will come through pretty clear in their um, uh, philosophies around how they're going to be training and what they're looking at. And if they're pumping up the whole body comp and, you know, trying to lose weight or becoming lean as a junior athlete, that's probably a bit of a red flag um, because Mm. for me, I don't think that's necessarily something that we should really be focusing on the junior athletes. Um, It is about fueling and keeping them healthy, not about keeping them, you know, lean and losing weight. Um, so yeah, I think speaking to the coach first, getting an understanding of where they sit, if you're still not kind of happy or you feel like they don't really understand, then I'd be reaching out to a sports dietitian personally and, um, and getting an understanding from them as to what, um, they believe is, you know, important from a a nutritional side of things and being able to match the energy demands that the athlete is having to, to reach daily, not just from, their training but also yeah with school and most of these kids are also doing other sports outside of triathlon as well as part of their school program so making sure that there is a understanding that they're fueling well um yeah yeah. and so that's probably I think two big things and the other thing too is you know reaching out like you mentioned Emma before I think um you know reaching out to senior athletes most of them love talking about themselves um, so they're you know more than happy to kind of have a chat to some of these junior athletes and dispel some of those myths that might be I guess you know lurking around some of the um, 
like local training kind of environments, they can kind of put a pretty uh, quick end to that. When you hear, you know, from Olympic athletes and World Series athletes that, hey, actually, that's not how we do it. Um, and that's not kind mm. of what world's best practice is. Um, that's also, I guess, something where you can reach out, you know, most of them are, are mixing it at local races, um, be it, you know, in different um, different states. So, yeah, go and approach them. Don't be scared to have a chat to these guys. Like they're more than happy to kind of give back to the sport as well and give back to junior athletes and be a positive role model for, for them moving forward too. Mm. I think that's a really great message. And, and Ben talked about this last week too, that, you know, particularly for, for teenage athletes, like if you think about who they're going to be influenced by, um, it's not going to be, you know, sometimes it's definitely not going to be the parents. Let's let's face it. Um, it's probably not going to be the sports dietitian. It might be the coach, but as you said, it's it's those elite athletes. It's the people that they're aspiring to, you know, one day become like, um, who are probably going to have the biggest influence. So yeah, if you can you can tap into that, I think that's a really great idea. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's probably something that, like, you know, we as a sport need to do better as well at, and um, really kind of, I guess, um, giving the the juniors um, an opportunity to mix it with the senior athletes and find out more information and even the parents too. Like, I think it's really valuable for them to hear from the athletes um, themselves, like those senior athletes as to, I guess, the the do's and don'ts and what worked for them as a, as a junior athlete or what they've kind of, I guess, um, continued to do through their whole um, sporting career and some of the things that were potentially put on them early and what they've learnt, um, you know, is, is potentially something that's not helpful for their progress mm. as well. So, yeah, I think it's a combo if, um, like, for us to do better a better job of that but also not to be afraid to kind of reach out to um, senior athletes, senior coaches, you know, that are, I guess, um, looking after our elite juniors and elite um, senior athletes to, yeah, just get in contact we're more than happy to kind of have a chat and dispel some of those um those uh you know myths and rumors that, that might be going around yeah yeah absolutely all right well just sticking on the the topic of parents are there particular things i guess that you wish parents wouldn't take so seriously with their kids around um, nutrition and, and sport um or maybe take a different approach when it comes to training and nutrition yeah i think um <laughs> sometimes i think some of these kids like rattle when they walk because they're taking so many different like multivitamins and different stuff like that. So I think, you know, just maybe kind of chilling on, on some of all the uh, pills and potions and um, yep. focusing on, I guess, the the benefits of real food. Um, that's probably, yeah, a big thing for me too, because, you know, especially as they move through their elite career, like we there's obviously some brands in Australia that we can kind of trust in regards to the um, safety of the manufacturing of that product. But when most of these guys, especially if you start to progress through triathlon, you're going to spend a period of time overseas and, you know, we can't always trust what you're getting, even though it might be a multivitamin from a, a chemist overseas, like you can't actually trust that that wasn't made um, on the same conveyor belt as something with a substance that, you know, you will test positive to in a drug test. So I think the, the earlier that they can get used to eating real foods and, and trying to get the nutritional value out of real foods is um is better. It's not going to say that you're not going to need something moving forward. And that's definitely, I'm not saying that multivitamins are out of the picture or anything, but I just think that, yeah, junior wise, um, there's some kids that are on like way too many kind of different pills and potions um, compared yeah. to like, yeah, the elite guys that we can probably, you know, relax and, and chill on. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think often people have no idea how few of those sort of pills and potions and things a lot of elite athletes use. They kind of just make the assumption or they must be taking everything. So if I want to be like them, I need to too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you're you're completely right. There's not necessarily that many athletes that are on um, those, yeah, multivitamins and things like that. So it it normally is if there is some sort of deficiency that can't be um, boosted just purely through food um, and I'm probably speaking out of term here you guys are the experts on this one but um, but yeah I think just making sure that you've got a more natural approach first rather than pumping them through of everything because in the end it's probably just expensive pay really that you're like yeah. paying for than, um, than anything else. Yeah yeah absolutely. I think it's um, the social media as well like um, in terms of um, the athletes, um, you know, maybe following um, their fellow triathletes or, you know, well-known triathletes. And, of course, then one form of income for that athlete may be sponsored by a supplement program. So they see these athletes like on their Instagram promoting these products. But actually when you talk to that um, athlete, half the time they're not even consuming that product Um so it's that, you know, social media trickery um, that they then get influenced by as well. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting when you see these athletes and um, even like if you're working with them and you're like, I know they don't use that product. Yeah, no, that's right. That's exactly right. And no one's going to put up on like social media is always, you know, very positive, right? Like no one's going to say, oh, yeah, I was like really bad today or I had a really bad session today. Like literally everything's like, you know, oh, wow, look at me kind of thing. I'm, you know, portraying this really positive outlook. And it's the same when it comes to, you know, potentially with some of those um, supplements that whilst they might be endorsing them, they're not necessarily having everything that they offer it might be like one or two products out Mm. of a list of you know 10 or 12 that they've got for on offer so yeah don't necessarily believe everything that you see on social media yeah yeah for sure (laughs) and I guess the flip side to that question are there particular things I guess you you wish that the parents of, of athletes would get more involved with or be more supportive of from a nutrition perspective um yeah, from I think probably with what I just was saying earlier on today about um, eating more, really, I think sometimes, you know, mm. when ath- when junior athletes are eating a lot, it's almost seen as a negative thing where they're like, oh, my God, you're eating so much. Like, you know, eating me out of house and home here where it's mm. like, oh, actually, no, we need to support them to eat more and we want that to be the norm, like that it's okay to eat um, and that, you know, even just like, and making sure, I guess, that they're eating um, the right foods too. So yeah, having good um, good nutrition processes and practices early on and really being supportive of that from an early age. I think that's something that parents can really kind of get on board with as well and um, and help their kids out with establishing those practices early. And even just like getting them in the kitchen, like getting them like learning how to cook and mm-hmm. prepare meals um, themselves. Because yeah, like I said, majority of my squads actually like um, had to relocate from different places around Australia uh, to Melbourne. So a lot of them, you know, aren't, um, you know, they're either sharing houses together or, um, you know, renting separately from, from family and friends. So they are kind of on their own and have to develop these skills. So if parents can get on to that earlier and give them that skill set, it's a lot uh, easier transition when they do kind of have to be removed from, from their family, be it for training or even just competing overseas. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. All right, and to finish up with, is there anything that I guess from your perspective it's important to note about nutrition for younger athletes that we haven't really sort of talked about? 
Um, yeah, I think too, probably just the hydration side of things, like mm. just ensuring, I probably should have mentioned this under the um, the uh, parental kind of um, uh, involvement, but making sure that the athletes are actually turning up to training. And this is even for school kids too, like a lot of them have to do school sport, but and this is probably something I see with my um, the school kids that I coach is we'll have sessions and, you know, there's between 60 to 80 kids at a session, but I could probably count how many water bottles are present on one hand. Like you might be mm. lucky if you've got four or five kids to have a drink bottle with them. So um, that's probably a big part of the nutrition side of things that um, needs to be looked after as well. And just that reminder to the kids in the morning or the junior athletes that, hey, you know, have you got your drink bottle? Um, and making sure that they do kind of regularly keep hydrated uh, throughout the day as well as much as possible, especially when they're at school. It's really hard. I, like, I get it when you're you know, at, in, um, in class and studying, there may not be a lot of opportunities um, depending on the school to have a drink bottle in class. But, yeah, really trying to take those opportunities to be able to drink um, and be prepared for, for each session is um, a really critical thing as well. Yeah, great point. I was going to actually add um, one other thing. Um, do you find that um, the transition from um, junior to either junior elite program or then junior to senior, when that training volume does increase, I find that they're they're lacking the education then to increase their nutritional intake and they like yeah they just um I mean rowing is a classic example for me where um yeah the volume just keeps getting ramped up but they're not they don't understand the increase in their energy needs um and then they're just not getting enough food in yeah definitely agree yeah there's definitely um I've had that conversation I think a few times really but just yeah making sure that they do understand that um, yeah, when you do, when you ramp up your training volume, that you also need to ramp up the food uh, intake as well. And that whole, you know, energy expenditure versus um, energy availability and things yeah. like that, that they need to kind of get a bit more of an understanding on. So, um, yeah, I think that's, once again, the value of having some senior athletes around them when they're kind yeah. of struggling a bit, then there's almost like a, another reinforcement, another voice for them to hear it from, that it's not just coming from me or, you know, from Alan as a sports dietitian or from, um, you know, mum and dad, that they're actually getting it from their peers saying, mm. hey, how do you think you're going to, like, last today if you've only just had this to eat? You know, you need to eat more um, to, to kind of get through it. So, yeah, definitely agree with you on that one. All right, so fun time is coming up now. Um, this is what we call the bonus round where we get to learn a little bit more about you. Um, so if you weren't working in coaching or exercise science, which it sounds like you really enjoy, um, what do you think you'd be doing instead? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> I think uh, I've always wanted to work in sport, but outside of that, um, I was kind of, I was into performing arts beforehand. So like I was a dancer and um, played a whole heap of like musical instruments when I was younger as well. So maybe might've gone down the uh, performing arts. If I could sing, I, d I probably would have, but I can't sing to save myself. So yeah, maybe a combo of some sort of like dancing musician. I have no idea. <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> what are the, what are the instruments you play? 
uh, piano, saxophone, and guitar. Ooh, so a bit of a random mix, but yes. yeah. <laughs> nice, very good. Well, if you like, you can do a bit of a musical for us in our intro, the, <laughs> the long munch or the ending, like a bit of saxophone or something. Uh, look, I think you want to uh, maintain followers here and subscribers. <laughs> you don't want to lose any, so I won't put that on you. <laughs> um, what's one item on your bucket list that you haven't yet done? Um, yeah, I think I I was, a, yeah, obviously I said earlier, I played basketball as a kid and um, absolutely loved Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. So I've um, never um, been to an NBA game live in America. So I think that's um, definitely a bucket list item that I'd love to be able to tick off yeah. is, um, yeah, see a live NBA game. Yeah, it's very cool. I did that in New York. Um, yeah, ah, atmosphere awesome. is very yeah. cool. Um, so, favorite moment um, from the Tokyo Olympics or Paralympics? And you, if you if you um, want to choose more than one, we'll give you two. Ah, uh, okay, cool. All right, well, I'll choose like a serious one and then a funny one. So, serious one, I think. Um, just being in the village, um, particularly for the Paralympics, because um, I was out of village for the Olympics, but being in the village for the um, opening ceremony and we obviously didn't go to the opening ceremony but we had our own little ceremony within the village at the Aussie headquarters and you know gave a send off to our flag bearers and I think just that yeah the whole camaraderie and the the um team like environment and the spirit within everyone it was just awesome like really amazing it's kind of like that goosebumpy feeling that you get um and so I really love that being with not only the Aussie para tri team, but just the whole wider um, Australian Paralympics team was just a really like cool moment altogether. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was fantastic. And then I think in terms of my funny moment, it actually happened in hotel quarantine when the games were still going, but um, half of us were back. So as para tri, we um, had the closing ceremony whilst we're in quarantine and. Uh, Paralympics Australia had organised to have Jimmy Barnes and um, Jane Barnes and one of his daughters like sing for us and um, we were all kind of logging in via Zoom and the team that was still in the village had all logged in via Zoom so we were all there with Jimmy Barnes and they're singing KSAN um, live for us so this like you know exclusive kind of performance and one of my athletes who he was um on, didn't realise he wasn't on mute and so he's having a conversation on his phone to his wife back home and speaking to his little daughter and the whole, like everyone could hear it. Jane Barnes is like playing the guitar, trying not to laugh and you've got like the, um, you know, para uh, tech guys trying to like, mute him and we're just like all laughing in hysterics that he's like drowning out Jimmy Barnes while he's having a chat and some of the things he was saying was just hilarious. So, yeah, I think that's um that's a funny moment for me that, yeah, I'll never let him move down anyway, that's for sure. I think we might have had him on the podcast too, I'm guessing who it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. I won't say his name, uh, but yeah, he's um, definitely uh, closely tied to you guys yeah, as a yeah, dietitian. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably and, giving it's it funny away. You say that about the um, the opening ceremony at the Paralympics because um, we were speaking to Alistair Donohoe, who was a mm. guest on the podcast as well, and um, he was over in in Izu. Obviously, the cycling was was out of town from from Tokyo, and they did nothing for the opening ceremony. In fact, we were on a doing one of these recording a podcast with him and then I looked at my calendar and said oh is the opening ceremony on right now I completely forgot he's like oh yeah it's just on in the background there it's yeah completely different vibe yeah so he spent the (laughs) opening ceremony talking to us 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh wow. There you go. That, what a what a privilege. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But but knowing Al, it uh, doesn't surprise me. He's a pretty laid back. Character. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, what's a sport you've always wanted to try but you haven't had the chance? Um. Yeah. Good one. Um. Sport that I've... It's not like the Winter Olympics are on now. It's not like the, um, you know, the sledding where they're going 140 k's an hour down. Yeah, I can't say I'm going to follow in Jackie Narricott's uh, footsteps and go head first in a skeleton, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, yeah, no, definitely not. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's a good one. I don't really I don't really know which one I would um, probably like to try that I haven't tried before I've tried a lot of sports and not been good at them that's for sure but um <laughs> yeah I don't know maybe something like a you know a, an aerial skiing even though I'd probably end up like you know I've got powder knees they'd blow to bits but like something cool like that or the snowboard <laughs> half like given yeah winter olympics is in my head at the moment being glued to the tv yeah. um there's the yeah. sorry the yeah the um yeah, maybe that that's probably like what I'd uh, like to have a crack at. I haven't really done a lot of um skiing or snowboarding uh previously, so let's let's go with that one. Give that a yeah. go. <laughs> um uh and what are you most looking forward to in 2022? Um yeah, I think just being able to kind of resume almost semi-normal um racing schedule again like mm. for the last 2 years we've been uh yeah just pretty much stuck in Australia really in terms of um racing so I think uh yeah we we normally base ourselves over in Europe from kind of May through to September-ish um depending on the year but yeah I think being able to get back over to our base in Girona and um race again on the World Series kind of uh yeah calendar would be fantastic that's what I'm looking forward to this year so touch wood um we can actually travel, we can get around and that races still go ahead. So, yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to um, this year for 2022. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Danielle, for your time. Um, yeah, it's been great having you on and um, get, getting your insight and some practical tips. Uh, so, yeah, thank you. No, thanks for having me, guys. Really enjoyed it. That was great. Thank you very much, Danielle. Um, yeah, nice and, and practical messages there. And I'm going to hand it over to Al, our summary guru, to um, yeah, just um, let us know kind of the key messages from um, both episodes with um, Ben and Danielle. Yeah. Yeah. So our question obviously was how are nutritional needs of young athletes different to adults? Uh, and I guess the main takeaways uh, from that and, and I guess from Ben in the first episode, you know, we tend to think of, you know, the fact that young people are still growing and that that might contribute significantly to needing more fueling and, and more calories. But in fact, that the growth doesn't actually change the nutrition needs of young athletes that much compared to adults, if at all. Um, but what does change is some of the other factors more on the practical side of things. So, um in terms of training load, obviously that can be different in younger athletes. As Danielle described, they may not have the same training load uh, in individual sessions that um, sort of elite senior athletes have, but it may still be up there potentially with with age groupers um, and more recreational athletes. But obviously, you know, being uh, newer in the sport, they haven't been in the sport for as long usually. They haven't accumulated that same training volume and training history over time. And so 
you know, from a training point of view, you can't push the, the same volume or intensity at the same volume um, as, as you could with a, a more experienced and well-trained athlete. But I guess the things that we need to think about is, um, you know, often they are doing multiple sports, not just the one sport that you're necessarily dealing with, unless you're the parent and you're doing all, you know, you're sort of across all of them. Um, and so, yes, the training load might not be great in that sport, but they're doing multiple sports. They're often doing a lot more incidental activity than their parents or, or other adults because, um, you know, they're walking around, you know, school to and from the bus or the train or whatever it is or training um, or riding a bike or something like that. Uh, rather than getting in the car and then sitting at a computer all day. So they actually may be far more active just in their day-to-day lives compared to adults on top of the the training. And so that's often where that increased calorie need comes from. And I guess the other thing to consider is that even if the calorie needs are not necessarily that much higher, um, there are often limited opportunities for young athletes to eat and drink throughout the day because of school and classes and things like that. It's bit different to the workplace where you can go and you know in, in many jobs you can just go and grab something whenever you want to eat or drink it's not necessarily the case with, with young athletes that are still in school so um, you need to be much more organized uh, have the parents on board with that and um, really be organized around packing everything they need in terms of food for the day because it's hard to just top up on extra stuff necessarily um, and obviously have that in a, in a way that's going to keep uh, when you don't necessarily have a fridge or a kitchenette uh, access to, to store all that kind of thing um, and and think about what are the opportunities in the day to, to eat and drink so you know immediately after training if they're training before school and then before school starts it might only be a really small window of you know 10 or 15 minutes sometimes less if they're running a bit late um, and you've got to you know get the fuel in before class starts because you know you've then got another couple of hours potentially until the next opportunity comes around to eat or drink uh, I guess in terms of some of the other practical things, and I think both Danielle and, and Ben emphasised this, is that, you know, young people are still learning the basics of, of you know, what, what healthy eating is. Um, things like cooking skills, chopping skills, particularly as they transition from, um, you know, living at home with mum and dad to living out of home, they're all things that people need to learn. And so, you know, that's probably a tip for parents. If, if you've got a child that is going to be moving away from home for, for uni or for, for their sport or whatever it is, um, you know, start early with with teaching some of those skills, get them cooking at home and um, helping out with the shopping and things like that. So when they do move out of home, it's um, that transition is going to be a bit easier for them. Um, both Ben and Danielle also talked about the fact that, that young people are, you know, they're highly aspirational um, and they're going to be influenced not so much by mum and dad, not so much by health professionals like you and I, Steph, but it's going to be more so, um, you know, their peers, but also elite senior athletes and looking at, okay, well, the athletes that we look up to and, and aspire to be like, what are they doing in terms of their nutrition? What are they eating and drinking? What supplements are they taking is often the big one. Um, and so we need to think really about those athletes as role models um, and, and, you know, have the, have the right messages being modelled. So, you know, taking a food first approach, um, having the right attitude to the use of supplements, when to supplement, when not to. And as we said at the start of this episode, we're going to have a whole episode coming up on that uh, in the next couple of months. But also things about body image and the relationship between weight and performance and health. Um, and, you know, that that's obviously really influential and, and really important as well. Um, coming back to, I guess, how nutritional needs for, for young athletes are different to adults, I guess the most common issue that we tend to see, particularly in more serious young athletes, is underfueling rather than overfueling. And so the focus really is about getting more food in 
and more calories uh, and sometimes protein, but usually more calories in. Um, and with all those practical considerations we mentioned before, um, that can be sometimes a, a bit of a challenge. Um, but it's also around you know the message that we have and the message that parents give that you know sometimes we need more what we would call energy dense food. I guess the food that people tend to think of as quote unquote the unhealthy food. Um, and it's not necessarily about just eating chips and chocolate and things like that, but it is about eating food that sort of gives you more calories for the same volume of food sometimes to to get those calories in that they need. Uh, and then finally, as Danielle mentioned, you know, elite senior athletes and coaches are usually very approachable. They're usually happy to, to chat to parents or, or young people uh, and offer their experiences, uh, both good and bad, that, that you can potentially learn from. I guess just remember when you do have those conversations that, you know, an elite senior athlete will have potentially quite different nutritional needs. Their training load's potentially quite different. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's things that we can't learn from from those athletes in terms of what they've learned from experience over time, and that can be really valuable. Um, and as I said before, that sort of role modelling around you know healthy healthy nutrition, um, healthy diets, and healthy relationship with food and with your body. Well said, Al. Well said. I had some notes down there. I didn't know if you'd say them, and you've ticked them all off. So, uh, well done. So next episode, 32A, uh, what do we got coming up? I'm bloody excited about this one because it's such a hot topic um, and I'm hoping uh, that this will help, um, I don't know, give people a bit more education in the area. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, Steph, I think there's a lot of um misinformation in this area probably and a lot of varying opinions and people are very confused or following trends and fads and things like that but the question is do nutritional needs of female athletes change across the menstrual cycle um, and our guest for this is associate professor claire minahan from griffith university up in queensland and um She's an expert in female athlete physiology uh, and gave a really great talk at the Sports Dietitians Australia Conference last year in October, which we both um, were in attendance, well, virtually, um, and were both really impressed with the way that she was able to explain this and, and I guess, cut through some of the, the myths and misconceptions around this topic. So we thought she'd be great to have on uh, and to answer some of those questions and, and clear up some of the confusion in this area. Mm, yeah. Yep. Looking forward to that one. Awesome. So just a reminder to, if you've got any questions or feedback, please contact us at The Long Munch on any of our social media outlets, so um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Also, if you do find uh, any of our episodes informative um, and you think it might be useful to your friends or peers, yeah, please let them know about us. Um, our aim is just to, to help um, educate. Otherwise, Al, I reckon we'll leave our listeners in peace for now and we'll see them um, in the next episode. Yep, we'll do. See you then, everyone. Awesome. 